What if a husband or wife has fallen into an emotional entanglement, engaged in adultery or an immoral relationship? In this message, we discuss the road to freedom and the importance of establishing preventive safeguards. All right. Um, let's get ready to make our declaration this morning and then we will get into God's word. If you have your Bibles, I just want us to uh, bring our attention to uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 10. Romans 10, 8 through 10. Uh, it's a familiar passage of scripture for us. Uh, Romans 10, 8 through 10, the apostle Paul writes here, he says, what does it say? Meaning, what does the scriptures say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. So the word is near you and it's in two places. Where? In your mouth and in your heart. The word is to be in our mouth and in our heart. Now he's quoting actually from the Old Testament. And he's reminding us of a principle that God gave his people in the Old Testament. He says, I want you to keep my word in two places, in your heart and in your mouth. And what do you do with it? Verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth, to confess means to say. So that word that's in your mouth, you're supposed to confess it, say it. And, uh, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart. So the word that's in your heart, you're supposed to believe. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So this whole experience of um, this whole appropriating of salvation, God's delivering work in our lives, Paul explains to us in Romans 10, 8 through 10, happens like this. When you believe in your heart and when you confess with your mouth. That's what brings this experience of God saving, healing, delivering power in our lives. And if the greatest work that God is doing in our lives comes to us through this manner of believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth, it's safe to conclude that everything else God wants to give to us can also be appropriated in a similar manner. You believe his word in your heart, you say it with your mouth, and then it becomes your experience. So as you read scriptures, you read the promises of his word. The Lord is my shepherd. You believe it. The Lord is my shepherd. Then you say it. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in want. My God will supply all your needs. So you believe it in your heart. You say it with your mouth. My God will supply all my and what happens? That, that, that saving work, the work of God in, to fulfill that word begins to take place in our lives. Amen? So that's why we keep this little bit of time, maybe five minutes every Sunday, to make our declaration, to believe in our hearts and to say with our mouth. And practice it throughout the week. You know, when something is going wrong, take a hold of that word. Say, this is what God's word says. I believe it in my heart. I'm going to say it with my mouth. And even though the situations may be contrary, throughout the week, through everything that you see happening in your life, you do the same thing. Take God's word, believe it, speak it. Believe it, speak it. And that releases God's working into your life uh, in that context, in that situation. Let's stand up to our feet, please, and make our declaration this morning. If you brought your Bible, 
Hold it high up in the air. Let's say this out loud, bold and strong together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. What was the next line? <laughs> I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing. To many people, I receive His word. I believe His word, and I live by His word. Christ is my master, and to Him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Take a moment to say hi to the person next to you, and uh, shake hands, give them a smile, and you can be seated. Um, over the last several weeks, we've been, it's two months now, we've been talking about marriage and family. And uh, this will be our last month, uh, October. I know it's a, a, a prolonged series, three months on one topic. Uh, but we just needed that time to uh, delve into various aspects of marriage and family. Uh, I want to assure you, end of October will be done. So, <laughs> uh, The last three Sundays have been very difficult topics. Uh, you know, when we started the series, we were really excited. A lot of feedback coming, very nice and all that. But last three Sundays, we talked about resolving conflicts, and then uh, last Sunday on, you know, uh, overcoming life's challenges, releasing the past, moving forward by releasing the past, and things have been very quiet. And, and I have to uh, uh, warn you that this Sunday morning is going to be another serious topic. We're going to talk about boundaries within, in the context of marriage, and uh, I, I know it's going to be very silent here. It was very silent in the morning at the North Church. Uh, so I, I, I think it's going to be same here. But it, nevertheless, it's a very important topic and we must talk about it. You know, over the years, um, uh, I've, I've uh, sat with several individuals, married individuals. Some were husbands and some were wives. And uh, just you know, listened to the struggle they were going, the distress in their lives, the pain that they were going through because their spouse was un being unfaithful in marriage. And it's very painful to sit down and, and, and to listen to that. And in some cases, children are involved, grown-up children are, in, are, are also affected simply because uh, the spouse, the, one of them, the husband, the wife, it's, it's, uh, uh, is unfaithful and, and, and the whole family suffers. The reality of this is that it's happening more frequently. Uh, given the fact that to, in today's world, both husbands and wives are at work. And so they go off to different places of work and... Uh, they spend a lot of time at work, and when they come back home, you know, they're tired. They hardly have any time for interaction with each other. And so most of this time is spent at work, and the chances of getting into an affair is high. 
simply because of this fact that they're uh, engaged in the workplace in this manner. And uh, the other thing is that it happens even to Christians, believers. People who are good people, church-going people, Bible-believing people, sometimes tongue-talking people. <laughs> happens. Why? Uh, and I will talk about the whys and so on. But, and it's really sad sitting you know, and listening to them and then trying to you know, work with them and work with the spouse. And in some cases, you know, thank God things are reconciled. They're all able to come back together. In some cases, it doesn't. And it's painful to see them go through this. And so this chapter, chapter 13 in the book, and this message this morning on boundaries is to address this area. We don't want to pretend this is not happening. It is happening. It's very important. Uh, and so it's very important to address it and, and then talk about you know, how we can prevent it. Of course, prevention is always better than trying to remedy this situation. So we want to or talk about things that we can do to prevent such things from happening uh, rather than, you know, trying to remedy it. Uh, now, what we must keep in mind is that in most cases, these things don't happen suddenly. It's not like the husband wakes up one morning and says, today I'm going to go and sin, you know. It's not like, yeah, it's, or the wife. Yeah. It doesn't happen suddenly. It's actually a process that's, that takes place. Uh, it usually begins in a very, very casual way in the workplace. You know, there's a casual conversation happening and, and uh, maybe uh, the colleague, I'm just using the workplace, but it could happen anywhere in any context. Uh, the person, you know, you just give a listening ear, you're talking and, 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 and you know, and uh, if you're not careful to maintain boundaries at that time in that kind of an engagement, uh, what happens? It soon, soon you'll realize that you're starting to develop some emotional affections for that person. It may start well in a very well-meaning way, some empathy or sympathy for that other person or some kind of a support or something like that. But it just progresses into an emotional attraction, an emotional affection for the other person. And then soon it becomes an emotional entanglement. How can you tell that you're emotionally entangled to the other person? Simple things. How much are you texting the other person? Yeah. Oh, no, he's my colleague. Yeah, but you come home from work, your husband is sitting next to you, but you're still texting him. And these are real life scenarios. I'm not making these up. Oh, it's one o'clock at night and you're texting him. There's an emotional entanglement that has already taken place. And uh, you may say, no, he's a work colleague, but actually the, the content of the text has nothing to do with work. That's what happens. Soon you find yourself in that state or, you know, whether it's phone calls or emails or whatever. This, 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 these are signs that, that this is happening. This has happened. And uh, then that will slowly lead into physical contact, to physical affection, and eventually get into sexual involvement and and the point is, this is a process. It just doesn't happen overnight. Now, there have been cases when it, you know, the husband, the wife, just, uh, uh, you know, it was just like a one-night stand kind of thing. But that's rare. Uh, and, and, and they come out of it, they realize that, you know, it was uh, an impulsive 
uh, decision, but most often it's a process. And we need to be aware of this, that as Christians, as believers, just because you are married, your marriage does not come with an automatic insulation to protect you. That safeguard is something you and I need to raise up to protect our marriages. And even if you are a married person, you need to know that it is very possible for you to have affections for a person outside of your marriage. You're not an angel. Amen? Let's let's not pretend, guys. (laughs) You are a married person, but it's very possible for you to have attractions and romantic feelings for somebody who is not your spouse. Possible. So you need, these are things we need to be aware of. And therefore, we need to raise up safeguards and maintain our safeguards. And I want to talk about this. The Bible has a lot to say. I'm quoting only a few scriptures and, uh, and going through the message. That there'll be more details that you could read in the book. So beware of the seductress. And I'm using the feminine, but the, the masculine is also true. That in your workplace or in your surroundings, there are men or there are women who may go looking for their prey. They're looking for somebody. They don't care if you're married or you're not married. Uh, they're looking for the prey. And, and, and you and I have to beware. We have to be watchful, uh, on guard all the time. And I'll just read a, a passage here from Proverbs 7, 21 to 26 from the Good News Bible. It says, So she tempted him with her charms, and he gave in to her smooth talk. Suddenly, he was going with her like an ox on the way to be slaughtered like a deer prancing into a trap, where an arrow would pierce its heart. He was like a bird going into a net. He did not know that his life was in danger. Now then, sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let such a woman win your heart. Don't go wandering after her. She has been the ruin of many men and caused the death of too many to come. The fact is there are such kind of people around you. And this pastor is talking about women. But it's true. There are men also like that. And you, you know, you probably are aware of these things happening around you. Where there are men who are looking for a prey. They're looking for people that they can take. And they don't care if you're married or not. They have no respect for the institution of marriage. They don't care. So we need to be on guard. And as I said earlier, it's a slow fade into darkness. It does, it's not like you just fall in it. There are some occasions that people have just slipped into it uh, uh, suddenly. But re- most often it's a slow fade. Proverbs chapter 9, 17 to 18 says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. You know, somewhere along the line, you go from having that understanding that marriage is sacred and you need to protect it and you need to enjoy um, uh, all of your uh, sexual satisfaction within your marriage. You go from that to suddenly thinking, you know, stolen water is sweet. I mean, it would be better than what I'm experiencing in my own marriage. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Somehow you, you get deceived by that. But it is a slow fade. It's a process that happens. To going from believing that you know, uh, my, my wife, uh, my, my spouse is the one who's going to satisfy my, all my needs, affections. To coming to this place where suddenly you're open to the idea of stealing something. 
not realizing that it's only going to lead us to death. What could be some of these causes that, 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 that lead people into this? In most cases, it is the fact that, that an individual is actually going through a crisis situation. Uh, most cases, their marriage is not all right. Uh, they're having conflicts. They're having problems. And so uh, they're, they're not emotionally satisfied in their own marriage. There is no love. It's, it's grown cold. Um, uh, the, uh, there's a sense of rejection. There are unmet emotional needs. Uh, there is emotional pain, trauma. In some cases, it's teenage affection that are actually carried on into the marriage. They've not separated themselves from, you know, all those little fantasies they had as, you know, teens and 20s. And now they're going down to get married and it's a serious thing, but they carry that along with them into the marriage and they're not able to come out of it. And, and these kinds of things uh, we see. I'm not making an excuse, but I'm saying these are some of the causes why people fall in uh, to extramarital affairs and things outside of their marriage. Uh, sometimes it's living with low or even no moral standards. We may be believers, we may espouse the truths of the word of God, but when it comes to our personal commitment, it's very low. We say hallelujah in church, and then when, it's, when we are faced with a temptation, we say something else. <laughs> and so that commitment to the word of God, that commitment to Jesus Christ, the commitment to your own marriage is so low that, that when, this, when the situation presents itself, there is no strength to resist. Or then sometimes you also see that when people are highly successful, when they're, they're, they're doing well and, and, uh, um, and you know, they've reached a place of uh, position, power, influence, money, uh, stature, then there is a sense of entitlement. You feel, you feel like, man, I'm above everybody else. I have a right to do this. And you're looking for some sort of an excitement and then uh, you, you kind of engage and in, in, in these kinds of things. And, and so these are some, some of the reasons you and I would find as we sit down and talk to people and say, you know, why did you do this thing? Why did you get into the place, for, in this, into this, the first place? What actually brought you there? And you will find that these are uh, some of the common uh, things. So uh, as a word of caution for all of us, we need to be on double guard during times of personal crisis or triumph. When you're going through times of personal crisis, you have to be on double guard. Be careful. Because you're very vulnerable at that time. You're going through your own crisis. And uh, if you go to the office and you find this guy, he's he's willing to sit down and listen to you. And you start pouring out your heart to him and heart to him. And soon, without realizing it, you'll begin to develop affections for him and he for you. You're going through a crisis. Your husband's not listening to you. Here's somebody's willing to listen. You get entangled. And this is the same for pastors. I mean, I, I, I talk about these things in the pastors' conferences, but this happens so often for, with pastors. Numerous cases where, you know, there's this young lady, she's going through a problem. She comes and sits with the, with the pastor, tells her everything, everything. Pastor's listening, listening soon. We're not, they're not careful. Emotional t- entanglements develop. And they fall into sin. It's happened so many times. So no one is, is immune to this. You've got to be careful. Um, there's a great example here. In, not a great example. But there is an example here in 2 Samuel chapter 11 verses 1 through 4. Of King David. 
Uh, we all know that David was a man who really loved God. There's no question about it. He was really intense in his passion for God. He was a man after God's own heart. Uh, he was a great songwriter, a great worshiper, a great man. There's no question about it. Uh, but at this time in his life, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, he had reached the height of his life. He was king. He had conquered his enemies. All his people loved him and were just just willing to support him. And he had reached the pinnacle, the height of his his career. And at that time, he, for some reason, made a choice that uh, he would not go out to the army. He sent the army out. He said, you guys, you know, you go on the mission trip. I'm staying in the church, you know. (laughs) Whatever. He said, you guys go do it on your own. I'm staying home. I want to enjoy, you know, all the good things that are happening. He didn't put it in so much words, so many words, but basically that must have been what he thought. And so he sent the army away. He normally would go out to the army. He would normally be engaged in things. But this time he was just relaxing. It was at that moment that he fell and he committed adultery. What's the lesson for us? In moments of great success, we're also very vulnerable. Because we tend to let our guard down. We think that, you know, uh, I'm entitled to this, this, this relaxed time. And I'm entitled to, you know, just, just relaxing and taking my guards off, and it's very easy to fall into sin in those moments. So you and I have to be on double guard in times of great crisis and great success. Be on double guard. Are you with me so far? The other thing I want to just bring to our attention is that we must be so committed that we will not trade enduring intimacies for cheap thrills. Proverbs chapter 5 brings this out for us. In, in the first part of Proverbs 5, it talks about uh, um, uh, uh, the, the invo- a man's involvement with, with the woman who just, just you know, wants to uh, just enjoy a momentary pleasure. And then it contrasts later on in the second part of the chapter with the enduring intimacy of, what you, uh, of, of your own marriage relationship. And it draws this contrast. And so I'm going to read this entire chapter, Proverbs chapter 5 from the Message Bible. Uh, uh, Please listen to it. It says, Dear friend, pay close attention to this, my wisdom. Listen very closely to the way I see it. Then you'll acquire a taste for good sense. What I tell you will keep you out of trouble. The lips of a seductive woman are also sweet. Her Her soft words are also smooth. But it won't be long before she's gravel in your mouth and a pain in your gut and a wound in your heart. She's dancing down the primrose path to death. She's headed straight for hell and taking you with her. She hasn't a clue about real life, about who she is or where she's going. So my friend, listen closely. Don't treat my words casually. Keep your distance from such a woman. Absolutely stay out of her neighborhood. Look, be careful. These things are happening. You be on guard. Verse 9, you don't want to squander your wonderful life to waste your precious life among the hard-hearted. Why why should you allow strangers to take advantage of you? Why be exploited by those who care nothing for you? You don't want to end your life full of regrets, nothing but sin and bones, saying, oh, why didn't I do what they told me? Why did I reject a disciplined life? Why didn't I listen to my mentors or take my teachers seriously? My life is ruined. I haven't one blessed thing to show for my life. Do you know the saying? 
drink from your own rain barrel, draw water from your own spring-fed well? It's true. Otherwise, you may one day come home and find your barrel empty and your well polluted. Your spring water is for you and you only, not to be passed around among strangers. Bless your fresh flowing fountain. Enjoy the wife you married as a young man. Lovely as an angel, beautiful as a rose, don't ever quit taking delight in her body. Never take her love for granted. Look at verse 20. For why would you trade enduring intimacies for cheap thrills with a war? For dalliance for a, with a promiscuous stranger. Mark well that God doesn't miss a move you make. He is aware of every step you take. The shadow of your sin will overtake you. You'll find yourself stumbling all over yourself in the dark. Death is a reward of an undisciplined life. Your foolish decisions trap you in a dead end. So that's a very serious warning. All of you are awake. Yes. It's a very serious warning. The, the contrast is this. Your, your marriage, within your marriage is this fountain that brings enduring intimacy. Outside it are only cheap thrills. And they're only going to ruin your life. We need to settle that in our hearts. Because with, without that kind of a conviction, we're not going to be standing up against these kinds of temptations. Another thing the Bible tells us is that adultery is a brainless act. It's soul-destroying. It's self-destructive. And the passage in Proverbs 6, 23 to 35 brings this out. And, uh, and let me just read it. It says, For sound advice is a beacon. Good teaching is a light. Moral discipline uh, is a life path. They'll protect you from wanton women, from the seductive talk of some temptress. Don't lustfully fantasize on her beauty, nor be taken in by her bedroom eyes. You can buy an hour with a war for a loaf of bread, but a wanton woman may well eat you alive. Can you build a fire in your lap and not burn your pants? Can you walk barefoot on hot coals and not get blisters? It's the same when you have sex with your neighbor's wife. Touch her and you'll pay for it. No excuses. Hunger is no excuse for a thief to steal. When he's caught, he has to pay it back. Even if he has to put his whole house in hock. Adultery is a brainless act. Soul-destroying, self-destructive. Expect a bloody nose, a black eye, and a reputation ruined for good. For jealousy detonates rage in a cheated husband. Wild for revenge, he won't make allowances. Nothing you say or pay will make it all right. Neither bribes nor reason will satisfy him. The point is, adultery has severe consequences. And it's self-destructive. God's wonders in his scripture. Now I know all of these passages are talking about the seductress, the temptress and all of that. But the other side is also true that there are men who are like this. And I've repeated that several times. So women, just a word or two for you. Stay on guard. Proverbs 12 and verse 4 says, A good wife is her husband's pride and joy, but a wife who brings shame on her husband is like a cancer in his bones. Proverbs 14.1, Homes are made by the wisdom of women, but are destroyed by foolishness. When a wife falls into this kind of sin, it's like administering cancer to her husband. It's so destructive for him. And not just for him, it destroys the home. So women, stay on guard. Protect yourselves. Are you with me so far? 
And one very basic thing that women can do to protect themselves is just the way they dress. First Timothy chapter 2, and there are several passages on this, and I'll just um, uh, refer to First Timothy chapter 2, women dress modestly. First Timothy 2, 9 and 10, I also want the women to be modest and sensible about their clothes and to dress properly, not with fancy hairstyles or gold ornaments or pearls or expensive dresses, but with good deeds as is proper for women who claim to be righteous. Now the Bible is not saying you shouldn't wear nice clothes or, you know, do up your hair or have nice things. I mean, the Bible is not against that when you look at the entirety of scripture. But the point this passage brings out is that women, you got to dress modestly that demonstrates godliness. Because, you know, the fact is, if you are scantily clothed and you walk into the office, you know, all the heads are going to turn your direction. I mean, the males, you know, are going to turn your direction. Why? Because a man is influenced by what he sees. So why do you think, you know, the advertisements, they never have, I mean, other than for, you know, men's wear, you never, you never have scantily clothed men. It's always women. Why? Because men are affected by what they see. And so women dress modestly. You don't want to catch undue attention because it's only going to get you in trouble. Just a little safeguard. I think, man, I wish I wasn't here this morning. (laughs) At least I would not have heard this, you know, no. All right. So having said all that, how do you work with somebody who has actually fallen in sin? That they've actually gone into this and, and, and uh, they're trapped. Uh, they find themselves in an adulterous relationship and an affair and, and, and they're in it. And how do you work with them? And so I want to spend some time, you, uh, I spend some time just talking about taking the road to freedom. And I do not know if there are some people sitting here this morning and you are in that place. And I do not speak in any way to condemn any of us, but I, I want to present this to us as a way of hope, uh, understanding that there is a way out. In most cases, when either the man or the woman is, is, is in this situation, uh, they feel very hopeless. They feel like, look, I, I'm in a mess. I, there is no way to get out of this. And so the first thing we must do is to bring hope into their lives. Let them know that with God's help, they can recover, they can arise, that uh, they can uh, come back strong. Even though at this moment in their lives, they have, you know, they've been totally devastated. If it's the man, you know, the wife is going through pain, her, their children are going through pain. Or if it's the woman, the husband is, is angry. He doesn't know, you know, why in the world his wife did this thing and, and, and the children are all affected. What do you do? How do you help them? Let them know that with God's help, you can come. You can come out. There is hope. Like what it says, and it's not on the screen there, but in Micah 7, 7 to 8, Micah says, you know, but me, I'm not giving up. I'm sticking around to see what God will do. I'm waiting for God to make things right. I'm counting on God to listen to me. Don't enemy crawl over me. I'm down, but I'm not out. I'm sitting in the dark right now, but God is my light. They may be down, but it's not the end. They may be sitting in the dark, but God can bring light into their world. Talk to them about the Father's love. Remind them about the story of the prodigal son. You know, how uh, when the prodigal, you know, wasted away everything. But when he came back to his senses and he said, I'll go back to my father. The father came running to him. 
to embrace him with love. That's the heart of God. That's a picture of God the Father. That he's always there. The Father is always loving. He's waiting for us to return. He will always welcome us with his love. His love never diminishes, never runs out. Assure them of the Father's love. Assure them of the shepherd of their soul, Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said this, he said, I am the good shepherd. And then he said, even if there were 99 good, righteous sheep, you know, good sheep that were in the pen, but there was one sheep that was lost, the good shepherd would go looking for that one sheep. See, so I show them, look, you might feel this moment, you might feel like that one lost sheep that has wandered away from God, but the good shepherd is looking out for, he's coming. He's not like, let's leave him, let him go. No, he, that's the heart of God. He's a good shepherd who goes out even for that one lost sheep. And when he finds that sheep, he brings it back, restores the sheep. The shepherd of our souls is able to restore our soul. At this moment, their, their soul, their emotions might be in terrible turmoil and, and pain and confusion and all of that. But the shepherd of their soul is able to restore them. Amen? Got to give them their souls. And the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who turns our ashes, who gives us beauty for our ashes. And that's what Isaiah 61 is all about, that the anointing of God, the Holy Spirit, He turns our ashes into something that is beautiful. So although at this moment in their lives, they have ruined their lives, they've, they've done things that have you know, totally uh, devastated them, the anointing of God, the Holy Spirit upon them can beautify their lives, get them to rise out of the ashes and, and bring beauty. But here's the key. They've got to make this journey. They've got to be willing to come out of that situation they're in and walk the journey. They've got to be willing to do that. God will open up the prison door, but the prisoner has to walk out of the prison. God will pluck our feet out of the net, but that person needs to walk out. And in most cases, people will say this, I cannot make the journey. It's too difficult. For them, it's like this long journey that seems impossible, a journey of a thousand miles. But we need to remind them, and this is not a verse in the Bible. A journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. Take one step. One step at a time. You can make this journey. But you got to do it one step at a time. Got to be willing to do that. Make this journey. What are the initial steps that they would need to take? The first step is to call sin, sin. Most people who are in this kind of a relationship, adulterous relationship, an extramarital affair, most of them, the majority of them, will always have good excuses, valid excuses, to excuse or to explain away their behavior. Oh, he's just a good friend. Nothing, nothing much is happening. Excuses, cover-ups. Beneath the service, a lot is happening. <laughs> but these are all just excuses. And so the first thing is, you've got to call sin as sin. 
until you're not until you're not willing to accept that what you're doing is wrong you'll never want to come out of it so you got to be willing to call that look what i'm doing is unacceptable in the eyes of god it's unholy it's sin i need to get out if you're not willing to do that you're not even willing to take the first step in this journey and sometimes you got to be hard sometimes i am hard with people why because you got to shake the daylights out of them you know, being loving and nice and all that. You know, they'll be like, oh, pastor is nice and loving. So there are times, you know, if the shepherd has a rod. <laughs> I don't use it too often, but I do have it. <laughs> so every now and then when the sheep is not behaving, you got to take out the rod. Right? Paul wrote to the Corinthians, should I come to you with love or should I come to you with a rod? That's 1 Corinthians chapter 4. So sometimes you've got to use the rod. You've got to be firm. You've got to call sin, sin. You've got to look at them in the eye and say, you are lying. You're covering up. You're not facing the truth. You are doing something wrong in the eyes of God. You've got to speak like that. It might be hard, but it takes that to wake them up. Let them know. So once they recognize that sin is sin, the next step is to take responsibility for their actions. That I am responsible for this. Because usually they will blame the spouse. He pushed me into this. She pushed me into this. It's very easy to blame the other person. But no. I am responsible. Take responsibility. I did it. That's the next step. To understand that I am responsible for the pain that was caused you know, to my spouse and to my children and all of the people connected to my life. I'm responsible. I need to take responsibility. I can't blame the other person. I can't even blame the devil. The devil just did his job. <laughs> so I got to take responsibility. And the third part is, is probably the most difficult, which is to cut off whatever is causing somebody to sin. Well, you need to cut off to break free. Jesus put it like this in Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 to 30. He said, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But now I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman and wants to possess her is guilty of committing adultery with her in his heart. So if your right eye causes you to sin, take it out and throw it away. It is much better for you to lose a part of your body than to have your whole body thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's much better for you to lose one of your limbs than to have your whole body go off too. So what? Look, if there is something causing you to sin, cut it off. Serious. Amputate it. Cut it off. Which means it's going to be painful, it's going to be severe. But that's the severity with which this has to be dealt don't just put a band-aid on it. No, you've got to cut it off. It's got to be dealt with severity. So you've got to tell this person, look, if you've been involved with this other person, have you got to cut it off? No, you know, a little bit, less, less, little bit, no, no. Nothing like that. Because that it'll go down and bring, go up. You know? So, no, none of that stuff. It's got to be cut off. So, which means if you were, you know, interacting with each other, that has to stop. If, if it means, you know, whatever it takes, if it means you've got to be relocated in your workplace, 
Get it? If you mean you have to leave your job, go somewhere else, do it. If you have to move homes, do it. You have to cut it off, whatever it takes. That's the painful part, but it's the necessary part. Without that, it's going to repeat. Now, when you're going through this process, it's good to have somebody walk with you through it if you're willing to have somebody walk with you because you need that help. On your own, it may not be easy. And then there has to be reconciliation healing between the offender and the offended. Uh, We always try to work towards that. We don't want to use something like this, a crisis that has happened to dissolve the marriage. And that's not what we should work towards. We should work towards reconciliation. Although it's, it's painful, yes, it's happened. But let's try to bring them back together. Now, in some cases, they do come back together. In some cases, they may not for various reasons. But our goal uh, as, as people of God is to try to bring them back, to see reconciliation. Uh, which means that the uh, offended person, whether it's the husband or the wife, who has been offended, needs to go through a process of healing. They need to go through that process of releasing forgiveness and loving as God loved. And that's not humanly possible. It needs the grace of God. It needs a lot of help. And the offender, the one who actually caused the problems, needs to come back with genuine repentance and needs to deal with the real root issues that caused them to fall in the first place. That needs to be dealt with. So there has to be reconciliation. There has to be healing taking place in both people. And if there are children involved, they need to be also helped. Are you with me so far? So in conclusion... We've said all this, but the best thing is to prevent such things from happening. And that's what I want to place before all of us this morning. Protect your marriage. Establish moral fences and stay within your boundaries. You must be very clear of lines that you will not cross. Because the Bible does say that there is, you know, the Bible says, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion, he's waiting for an opportunity to devour. So don't give the enemy any chance. So you establish moral fences, you stay within boundaries. One of the best things you can do is to have fun in your own marriage. You know, most of you look at me like I'm a serious pastor, but you don't have never seen me at home. I'm totally different, right? At home, I fool around. You know, we crack jokes. We, uh, we have fun. But, you know, here I have to be, you know, pastoral, you know. <laughs> but this is not the way I am at home. I'm not going home. I'm not at home preaching sermons to my wife. <laughs> In case you think that's what I do during the week. I don't do that. <laughs> at home, it's fun. I'm just normal. Why? Because you, you have fun, in, and some of it spills over into the office, or some people in the office get it, but most of it is at home. We have fun at home. We crack jokes. We make, you know, we see who can joke better, and you know, all that kind of thing, and, and, and have fun with the kids. That's the best thing you can do to make sure you don't even look outside. So have fun. It's important. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your marriage. 
Other, other safeguards that you can keep for yourself is do something you would not like your spouse to be doing. You know, when you come home, uh, would you like to see your spouse, you know, on her iPhone or iPad or whatever, staring there? You know, you see some couples, you know, they're having lunch together. Each one is like, and they're having lunch together. They might as well sit on separate tables and eat, you know. No. What do you do? When you have time at home, the phone is off. Television is off or whatever. You're focusing on the other person. Don't do things you would not like your spouse to be doing. They're simple things. It's a a safeguard. Uh, Be careful about your chatting, your use of social media and other online interactions, especially with people of the opposite sex. You know, yeah, you you interact, but be careful. Guard your mind, your thoughts, your imaginations, your feelings, your reflections, because it all starts there. The moment you sense that uh, you're getting the wrong thoughts or affections towards a person, Deal with it. Take it to God and pray and say, God, I need to address this. I'm feeling like this. Please. I know it's not right. I need to get it out. So be honest with yourself. You know, don't fool yourself. You're not an angel. You know, don't wait for the prophet to come and say, oh, you have been thinking evil thoughts about somebody. God's not going to do that. Just be honest with yourself. Don't wait for a prophetic word to expose those kinds of things. And don't flirt. Don't play with other people's emotions. Don't drop hints. and you know, Don't do those kinds of things. Don't play with people's emotions. Of course, stay away from pornography and other things that will lead you into sin. And, and whatever boundaries you need to establish, you are the best person to judge, depending on your workplace, your, whatever you're doing. For example, as a, as, a, as a pastor, some basic things, when we set up the new office and the old office was an open office, but when we moved to this new office a couple of years ago, I think 2012, um, we said everything is going to be glass. I wanted it that way. Why? So that everybody sees who's coming to talk to me. So even if I'm sitting one-on-one with the lady and talking, everybody knows I'm, I'm talking to her and spending time talking. So that's, that's an immediate safeguard. And then the other thing I do is uh, I, might, I might, you know, some of you have come and met me. I, I might be spending time one-on-one with a lady. I might do it once, twice, thrice. I might talk on the phone or email, whatever. But then, if there is a recurring need, if that person needs ongoing help, I stay out of the way. I guide them to our counselors. I say, please meet, you know, either Jean or Ranjani or Saraswati, one of our counselors. They'll help you. So I, I might meet with them once, twice, thrice. Uh, to know the problem, to help them. But if they need ongoing help, I step out. Let me go. It's just normal. I don't try to counsel a lady through her entire problem. No. Work with them at the initial stage and then hand it off. It's just a safeguard to protect myself, protect the church, and protect all of us. So you decide what kind of boundaries you do. For instance, from the very beginning, I never hug ladies. I'm Shake hands. Shake hands is enough. Why? Safeguard. Now, you may not agree with me on that, and I'm not saying if you hug a lady, you're sinning, but that's my defense. It's the way I want to do it. Shake hand is good enough for me. Yeah. So especially when you go to America and everybody's hugging each other, and all, and the lady comes to me and says, shake hands. 
Actually, the first time I went to the U.S., uh, this was in Cleveland, Ohio, I just arrived as a graduate student. I went to this church, it was called Church of the King, and uh, Sunday morning service was there, and then after that, one of the elders' wife, you know, she was talking to me, she, uh, she met me out in the foyer behind donuts and coffee, and, and she was talking to me, and you know, she was standing, and, and I don't know why, but they stand, like to stand so close. So she came up, I was moving back. <laughs> she came up, I was moving back. She came up, after the whole conversation was taking place, you know, and I was moving back. Then after some time, and I didn't even realize this, you know, I was just, you know, being like, yeah, I need to keep this distance when I'm talking to you. Uh, so she went and told her husband. Her husband was a worship leader in the church. Then long time after that, uh, it so happened, I, he and I were driving, we were driving to another city, it was a long drive. We are going to, you know, plant a church there and all that. So we're driving together. And he said, you know, hey, Ashish, my wife told me, the first time you came to church, and she was talking to you, you kept moving back, you know. Why? And I, you know, so I had to explain, look, it's just normal for me to keep that distance, you know, when talking to people. So these are some things. And I also remember another lady complained. She said, he is so cold. <laughs> Maybe some of you complain, like, it's intention. I, I keep that. There's a glass wall. You can't cross. You know, I'll be loving, affectionate, but hey, only so much. You know, after that, there's a distance. Why? I know the call that's on my life. I know what, how important it is for the church. So we've got to keep that. Amen? So you, you understand what boundaries are important for you, and you keep those boundaries. You safeguard yourself, your family, uh, and so on. And, uh, you know, singles are close with their singles. I'd encourage you to practice these things now. Develop this discipline in your life now so that it'll be easy when you get into your marriage. The way you relate to people of the opposite sex, have some boundaries, have some guidelines, have some disciplines for yourself, whatever you need, so that you can carry that into your marriage. Because if you don't have those self-defenses, those, those, develop those strengths right now, it's very likely that if you're weak now, you'll carry those weaknesses into your marriage. And then, at that time, trying to raise up defenses is going to be quite difficult. So develop these things. You know, I remember when I was in college, and uh, uh, of course, I had an additional responsibility, responsibility there. I was leading a, a, a ministry, a work that was happening on campus. And so I, never, I, I would never travel alone with a sister in an auto. <laughs> I never travel alone. Because that's it. So I require two things. One, I don't want anybody to, you know, they say like, wow, this guy, he's leading all those Bibles and there he's going with this girl. Where is he going? <laughs> so I never do that. I mean, maybe there was once or twice because of an emergency situation, I, you know, was an exception. But normally, no. Even here, if I have to, I normally don't give lifts to ladies. Alone. And if my wife is there, my daughter is there, that's fine. But otherwise I won't. Or if I do, I make them sit in the back seat. Why? Hey, people see Pastor Ashish, Pastor of all people's church, driving at someone, not his wife. <laughs> Tomorrow it'll be on, you know, Facebook, whatever. And now these cameras are so easy, they'll pull up the phone. <laughs> Press it, it's up on Facebook. Gone. <laughs> You have no way to explain that, that, hey, I was taking her to the hospital. She was about to deliver or something. <laughs> no way to explain. It's gone. 
So prevention is always better, you know. There are just certain things that you do to safeguard your own life. And, 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 and the call, the, the higher the call, the higher the, the calling, the ministry, the more uh, defenses you need to have to protect yourself, your marriage, and what God has entrusted to you. You're doing it because of that. Amen? So I want to encourage you young people, even, as, uh, even if you're single, now think about these things because it's important for your future. Let's just rise to our feet, please. I call the worship team up. As we take a few moments to pray before we close this morning, I know there are are, are people in different situations, in different stages. Some of us just need to, you know, make that resolve inside of us saying, God, give me the grace, give me the strength to have my defenses up and I want to live like this the rest of my life. Some of of us may have made mistakes in the past. You know, let that go. But be renewed in your strength this morning and say, God, give me the grace that as I run this race that's up ahead of me, I want to run it well. Some of us may be in that situation right now where there's compromise, there is sin, uh, there is things going wrong, whether you're emotionally entangled with somebody outside of your marriage or maybe you're physically involved with that person and you're here this morning. We don't want to condemn you. We want to urge you to take the first step. Call sin, sin and say, God, I'm sorry. I need your grace. I come to your arms of love and I come to the shepherd of my soul and give me the strength to make this journey out of what I'm in right now. You know, whatever your situation is, I want you to take some time to pray, please, before you leave this place. I just want to call our leaders up here, our life group leaders, pastors. If we just come up here, we're going to take a few moments to pray for people and uh, you know, just minister to people. So if, you want, if you're life group leaders, pastors, anyone else here, you want to pray, our youth leaders, just come and stand here. We're going to pray for people. Just come and stand here. Uh, let's just take some time. If you need prayer this morning, and this is not to judge anybody, I know there could be some embarrassment or things like that, but hey, we're not here to judge anybody. We're not going to hold anything up against anybody. But if you need prayer, I just come up. Our prayer leaders, those who lead prayer in the morning, so I want you also to come stand here and just pray. Let's pray with people this morning. Let's stand here. Anybody else who want to come here, just pray for others. Just come, feel free to stand here. Come and stand here. We'll pray and minister to other people. Just stand here. So if you need prayer this morning, I mean, it doesn't matter what you're going through or what stage of and you just need help. We are family. We're here to pray for one another. We're here to pray. And I believe that as we pray, God will do something. Like things will change. Things will change. So if you need prayer, just, just come up here this morning and let people pray over you. I, I know it can be a little embarrassing, but don't worry. Just come and receive prayer. If you need prayer, just, just feel free to come up.
anybody who's come and just let this be prayed for. We'll take maybe a few minutes to do this, then we will close. Everybody else, just continue praying for yourself. Can you pray?
Father, we just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you will touch every person, every life here. Strengthen us. That God, we will walk with strong moral character, with that strength of character, God. And I pray, Father, for your safeguard, your hand of safety upon every marriage, on every husband, every wife, that they will walk with wisdom and, and, and protect their homes, their families, their marriages, God. Father, we just pray your redemptive work, oh God, into any person's life where there might be sin, there might be wrongdoing, there might be pain, that your redemptive work will come into their lives, bringing them out of it and establishing them. Let this take place, O oh God, by your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Father, we just thank you for this time. And I pray over each one here the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God our Father and the sweet fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with each one of us now and always in Jesus name Amen God bless you all thank you for being here this morning have a great Sunday have a great week see you again God bless we trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.